0: Hello listeners and welcome to The Chosen Brew Podcast. I'm your host Ian McNally and this is the podcast where guests talk their way through the six beers that changed everything. In this episode, a man formerly known as the Beer Engineer, it's Ian McLean. I'll let him introduce himself in a moment, but this was a great chat and a really interesting beer journey we could have talked for a lot longer than we did. If you're a keen homebrewer or interested in getting started, this is the podcast for you, as Ian is so knowledgeable about beer and the process involved. But we do go on quite a few lovely tangents as well, so I'm sure you'll enjoy this one. Let's get into it. So Ian... I'm not going to explain you, because you are a man of many different trades, a mixed bag of tricks. Can you introduce yourself? Ian McLean.
1: I'm a writer, a copywriter by day, a novelist by night, published one novel ten years ago, Um, working on my second, because I'm prolific right now, (laughs) and um, I trained initially in architecture, got patents in glazing technology, kind of specialised into... Uh, glass design and it's a really boring world so I started to write on the side just to save my own sanity and uh, found my way to Los Angeles wrote for NBC CBS covered shows like My Name Is Earl, Scrubs, American Gladiator, CBS for Big Brother, um, CSI Miami, Fear Itself, I did two Saturday Night Lives um, wrote some stuff for Medium when that was going and uh, found my way here when I got married. Went back to glass architecture because it pays pretty well.
0: <laughs> and you, I needed... you, you went back to the glamour of glass oh, yeah, architecture. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> Can't stay away from it. But uh, yeah, then we started a family, got settled here in Melbourne, and uh, now I'm back doing what I do best, which is copywriting work for some of the best agencies in the world. Have some pretty uh, big clients. I uh, just wrote um, stuff for the federal government, done some stuff for Westfield, um, I've written for Host Plus, some really great stuff for superannuation, it's really exciting, get a pension.
0: It does, it's what turns yep. people on in oh, talking yeah. about it, superannuation.
1: T- yeah, tickles my fancy. Um, so- <laughs> yeah, so now I'm back, uh, writing my second novel and uh, brewing beer, which is why we're here.
0: Yeah, I was going to say that long list of that long intro, the very impressive CV. Mm. Listeners, rest assured, Ian, yeah. is, Ian is here to well, talk beer. So, uh, yeah. so uh, tell, tell us, like, that's a very impressive thing you've been doing. But in between all of those things, the reason I've got you on The Chosen Brew is because you're very knowledgeable about frothies, about yeah. beer. Yeah. So um, tell us about your experience with beer in between between all these glamorous uh, roles. Well, that's what pays for it. (laughs) Yeah, I have a shed. Um, (laughs) Now you're you're sounding like a (laughs) show-off. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I have a really, really big three-by-three. And um, No, when I I was in L.A., uh, the the, the beer thing kind of happened. The craft brewing thing had already kind of started to explode, and you were going out and you were drinking because like, I worked in the Hollywood system, you're drinking American lagers and beers and Guinness or whatever you got your hands on, but then there were these IPAs popped up.
0: And what, what time, is it? What time? are we talking
1: about? This was uh, early thousands, like 2004, 5, 6. And uh, I was in San Francisco. My brother works there. He's uh, in laser designer. He's a serious uber geek. And... Um, I went out on my own into the world and found a bar called Tosca uh, on Columbus in San Francisco, and I got Sierra Nevada, and I remember thinking, "Wow, it was kind of, it was just great. It super hoppy, flavorful beer, it, and it, it it became my go-to beer in California because I was traveling back and forth between Manchester and um, LA, and uh, that became pretty much my go-to beer when I was in California. And uh, the thing had happened. this is where the beer really starts to come into the picture the The beer explosion had happened in on the west coast in on washington in washington uh, down to California, and there were these great breweries cropping up and they were quite advanced compared to what was happening in Australia I hadn't come to Australia at this point and uh, my wife, being American Australian, she was telling me you know there aren't these these kind of beers in Australia. Um, that what there are it was hard to come by. So I, I, uh, I you'd go out for a, a night with mates around there because I was working in the Hollywood sh- system. You'd drink whatever beer was in the pub, in the bar. You might have a Guinness because Guinness was popular with certain people. And when then...
0: you say certain people, can you name names? Was it, you know...
1: Uh... No, 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 not, <laughs> not, not, not name dropping. It's just, some bars, there's a peculiar thing happens over there. Um, some bars are not like, Irish bars, where everyone tells you about the Irish connection, <laughs> <laughs> other bars are like police bars, and the police department drink there, so the police department always have like a Guinness on there was one bar which was a car bar, and a lot of the uh Burbank Police department drank there, so they they were always in there, and they had a lot of they they'd bring in they brought in tenants' lager at one at one point and they got me to test it. Do you remember this being like oh, yeah, I remember I that. Yeah, I remember that from somewhere. Uh, <laughs> I, I forget what a, what name I give it, but I was pretty close. I remember I didn't I didn't call tenants, but I called something else, and he was like, oh, "So close." No, it's tenants. Like, yeah, they're, they're all shit. Yeah, <laughs> it all tastes the same.
0: Is there not a, a big factor in that? Um, as long as it's not from your home place that it's exotic. Oh, yeah, like definitely. Tenants, yeah, is, yeah, yeah. Tenants, tenant's Lager is awful yeah, if you're in yeah. Scotland, but really quite romantic if you're in Hollywood. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: if, if, if you're in the west coast of America, you, you're working in whatever production you work. So you're working long hours, you're working hard, and you go for a beer and you want to romanticise about oh, the old country that your fourth generation twice removed came from. <laughs> it's like, yeah, this is great. <laughs> it's not. it's not. It's, it's not great. It's Tenant's Lager. <laughs> it's n- it never was great. <laughs> and it never will be great, but
0: good on them. I'm kind of taking that uh, Tenants isn't one of your chosen uh Tenants is not, sadly, is one no. They've s- made the course. It but could
1: be, however. I just had a flashback. In the 80s, they did probably the only marketing campaign I've seen like it for beer. The back of every can had a pin-up girl on it. Yes. Do you remember um, that?
0: I, I'm too young to remember. <laughs> you should be able to see from my kindly face. I'm too young to remember. But Do you remember um, your dad drinking those beers? <laughs> but I know that in there is a bar in St Kilda, in Fitzroy Street called Freddie Wimpole's, and they have a can wall. And if you want to have a look at some of these uh, pin-up girls... Oh, they have them. They have the old can. I don't know where they've got the cans, but there's quite a few. That it oh, was yeah. clearly a range.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. There quite a few years. You've got a slab and it was just full of pin-ups it had tenants on one side it was like a silver can but I don't know if it still is and on the back it had a pin-up it was it was great you could look
0: at something while you're drinking sat <laughs> sat on your slab in the park it's a great, <laughs> I'm not sure the word is great, but it, uh, inventive for the time. Yeah, yeah <laughs> it, it
1: captured a certain demographic, let's put it that way. <laughs> you yeah.
0: Clearly your demographic, uh, demographic that you're People part I of. knew, people Pe- I knew. A, a friend of, friend. Yeah, a, friend of yeah, a friend. Yeah, a friend of a friend, yeah. Of I was, course. I was, I was asking for a friend. So um, you're in Hollywood and obviously the Californian beer scene has taken off. Mm. This is sort of in the early mid 2000s yeah
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, 2004 5 kind of thing
0: and so what happens then
1: well i met my wife she's american australian um we got married we settled down uh we did some more drinking so we came to australia pu- lived in port melbourne just after the gfc and uh, i wanted really wanted to brew beer so i made a deal Oh, my wife made a deal with me and uh, said, "You can buy brewing equipment when you get a job." So I got
0: a job <laughs> pretty quickly.
1: And uh, and
0: your job wasn't in beer, though.
1: No, no, the job was back in glass engineering because it kind of pays okay, and I can do it with my
0: eyes shut. So you went from like hanging out with Hollywoods
1: mm. to well, glass engineering. I trained trained in architecture originally and, speci- and specialized into glass facade engineering, facade design, and uh, it it became, it's kind of like the safety net, or it was, and uh, being new to Australia, um, didn't really know the ins and outs, and uh, I thought I don't really want to go into TV here because there doesn't seem to be a big industry and it seems to be closed, what there is here, Um, so I went back into glass engineering and uh, the lower side of it, um, window factory, running businesses and things like that.
0: But I got a paycheck, so and, and this kind of is this bubbling it down? Is, or is it is this beer passion just bubbling along?
1: This is o- kind of a really way. a really discerning drinker, kind of thinking. I wish I could get great beer, and this is where the the whole um, the whole drive came from. Because it, in California, you had a mega swill next to some phenomenal beer on bars, and. I remember in one bar in Pasadena, there was uh, an oval bar. It had about 200 taps and they were all different beers. And you you couldn't go wrong. There was a beer for every flavor, for every style you wanted. You could mix and match flavors on the day. You could go from one extreme to the other in the same bar. It was a very modern bar. And there was no hoo-ha about it. There was no big fanfare. It was just, this is great beer, and this is what we do on the West Coast, and I kind of miss that, because I've been drinking some phenomenal beers that you'd never heard of, and would never hear again, because it's so much to choose from, and here in Melbourne, the craft brewing thing had started, it, it was going, and it was underway, but it was still kind of uh, guerrilla, in a way, there were people at Mountain God, had been going for a number of years, and but they weren't well known by any means and the beers that they were making, even then, th- you, you struggled to get a saison. You wanted something like a saison or a really big, knock your teeth out, double IPA that'd blow your senses away. You, you'd struggle to find one sometimes and you, or you'd have to go to specific shops. You couldn't just go to a bottle shop like you can now and have 10 different IPAs or four different saisons to choose from and know that each one is of a certain quality or above. So I thought, engineering background, can't be too hard. Monks were doing it hundreds of years ago.
0: <laughs> Engineers and monks. Yeah. yeah. Cl- we, very we, close together.
1: Oh, yeah. We, we dressed the same, <laughs> got the same haircut. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I uh, went on Google, and luckily for me, the first uh, strike was Gwen and Grape. So In Yarraville. Yarraville, over the bridge. So I did. I went over the bridge. From
0: Port Melbourne. From Port, big, big. Bridge. Get your passport stamps. Yeah, yeah. Got a passport Go over stamp.
1: There. Took the tin helmet <laughs> and uh, went in, and I met a bloke called Chris, and uh, he was really helpful. He said, "What do you want What kind of beer do you want to drink?" And I uh, also started naming all these beers from uh, Oregon that i have been drinking and kind of out there beers, and he hadn't heard of too many. And it was kind of, I remember feeling a little bit of frustration that I mentioned one. He said, "Oh, I drank that. I know, I know what you mean." So I thought, phew. So he sorted me out with a fresh wort kit, um, some Amarillo hops, some Crystal Malt, and uh, another malt, I forget, might have been, no, I forget what the other one was, um, and why east American Ale 2,
0: which is still my favourite yeast. And why east this is the posh yeast, isn't it? This is the one yeah. that they have in the fridge. And you've got it in a special container that you've got to hit the thing inside.
1: It's a bag in a bag, and you've got to punch the outer bag to break the inner bag. And I always worry that you punch the outer bag... First of all, you've got to find the bloody thing on the inside. That's a nightmare. And it's <laughs> slippies all hell. <laughs> and you've got to kind of hold it on the counter, and you've got to put enough pressure on the outer plastic bag to pop the inner plastic bag so the yeast can kind of start to get Agitate, excited. Yeah, yeah. gotta get, get its thing going. And I always just get concerned because these are kind of expensive for the amount of little bit of liquid that you've got in there. If you're popping one plastic bag, what's not to say you might press too hard and pop the outer one? So I, I cause a great anxiety, but I've not popped the other <laughs> one yet. But <laughs> I always get concerned.
0: So uh, if any listeners could tell us if they've got you know a fail-safe way, because with the white use, I just kind of hold it in the palm of my hand and. I've hope tried for to,
1: the yeah, best I've, I've squeezed I've punched I've, I've yeah it's just it's bizarre it's, I've never seen it anywhere else it's bizarre that, that packaging system um, obviously very good Mr. Y used you, you do a great thing <laughs> um, but I've never seen that anywhere else it, 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 it's built by an engineer that's for sure it's not built by a designer
0: Huh? <laughs> yeah. you you've turned up your own fraternity there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, so then what happens? You t- you take this all this gear yeah. home. Took it
1: home, made a an American pale ale uh, with wort kit. Put a few liters in that, uh, f- of water. then I'd steep the malt in on the sto- in the stove pan on the stove top in Port Melbourne Amarillo hops. It carefully measured with about the th- a thermometer, so I measured the temperature. Did it really. Studiously, I remember um, cleaning the sieve with the uh, the st- sanitizer sterilizer, and then pouring the mixture of um, squeezed good sticky goodness from the the malts and the the all that it was like a green hop soup because there wasn't that much water after you boiled it for a little bit and poured that into the fermenter, and there was 17 liters of cold water, three liters of really warm water, and then I stuck the yeast in, covered it up, and hoped for the best.
0: I'm really worried that that last, like, 45 seconds of uh, of you talking would turn a lot of our listeners on.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but carry on. <laughs> yeah. I could go on a different track with that one, but that, that's, a, that's a different podcast. <sighs> yeah. And so, yeah, <laughs> um, that was my first beer first homebrew and uh, bottled it waited two weeks as the guy told me tried one and it was pretty pretty good and then I waited another week and I tried the other half of the batch and it was still good and um, homebrewing I found out is a very if you're passionate about drinking great beer if you're passionate about learning about beer all the ins and outs but not just the brewing and not just the commercial side of it, or the, the culture but Really get into the core of what a great beer is and what it means to you. It's a really bloody slippery slope, and I kind of went down it fast.
0: This is what I'm looking about, yeah. looking forward to hearing about. Yeah. Is your slippery slope well, <laughs> into I've, home brewing?
1: In, over the over the years now, I've been brewing ten years or whatever, and I've worked w- with different brewers from different places. I've done because I do copywriting for a business now, so I've I've done. Copywriting for different breweries and different help different people out. Um, as anyone will be in a home brewer, you, you enter competitions. You get all, you get to experience this vast array of different people from different backgrounds doing different things with this similar kind of beer style, and you just learn so much. And um, I remember my first brew kit was a fermenter and a stock pan, and I saw on. Aussie Homebrewer, I think it was. The Website? W- yeah, the yep. website. The, the, guy in, the guy in the beer shop told me not to go on it, so I went on it. <laughs> he said, it's full of shit. It, 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 it's argumentative. It'll confuse you. You don't know enough yet. Stay away from it. So I thought, two beers in me on a Friday night. I'm going on it. <laughs> and I saw these pictures of things called Brutus with three pots, three kegs, and two pumps. And I thought, holy shit, what's that? And it's it's pretty much what's in my shed now, a big three-tier brewing system that's semi-automated. And I swore to my wife that night I would never have one of these, and I'm on my fifth generation now, and (laughs) I've got four taps, and uh, I've got a fermenting fridge that's temperature-controlled so I can ramp it up for a saison with a a heater that's in there and drop it right down to, to crash chill. And I designed my own brewing system that packs away and... Uh, kind of semi automated the beast and uh got the grain mill next to it and uh I've got the three by three that's just full of paraphernalia and it i have coined the term the wanker curve. And I am I'm am firmly I'm proud to say I am firmly an outlier on one end of it. Um but we'll we'll come back to the wanker curve as we as we go through the uh the podcast. it's something I believe everyone needs to be across. You need to position yourself on that curve and know where you are. To fully experience the beer that you are drinking,
0: I am really scared about where I am on this curve. But um, I am I'm impressed that you've got you've you, you've got all these gadgets and all these things going on in your in your shed, mm. but you are still romanticised about sterilizing that first sieve.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. well you, you got to do it, you got to do it properly. And I used to be when I was learning when I was setting up my first few beers, I was really anal about doing everything because you, you don't want to infect the beer. God forbid. I've only ever had one batch with an infection and I struggled to pour that away and I tried to drink it never do it
0: again. And how many years uh home brewing to have only one batch infected? This could be a nine, record. Nine. Nine years. Something like nine. That's pretty oppressive. Yeah. Obviously. I've had some
1: batches that weren't that good. <laughs> yeah, that's it's because they're experimental. But they weren't infected. That was I've only ever had one infection.
0: Okay, so let's yeah. get in. You're here to talk through the six beers that changed six everything, years. and I'm very interested because, because of your background, you've you're from north of England. Yep. You've you, you've had this strange going on in Hollywood. Yep. Then to Melbourne, I'm intrigued about your choices. So let's kick it off. First choice.
1: First choice. Morehouses, Pendlewich. I think it was a bitter.
0: Now, tell us about more houses.
1: They're from Burnley in uh, Lancashire. Uh, I was, I, I guess I was about 18 at the time, and I was drinking with all my mates in the local, but we lived in a small place, uh, pretty kind of rural, semi-rural, and um, we lived next door to a farm, and we'd go one way, there was a ru- or very country pub, go the other way, it was closer to a, bit of a bigger town, kind of posh village, glorified village, if you want to call it. I <laughs> don't know what the... Hamlet on steroids. <laughs> and, uh, they had more commercial beer and they had, uh, younger beer. So, like, uh, Miller Genuine Draft and things like that were behind the bar. And i drink, uh, McCune's Export in there most mm-hmm. of the time. And, uh, good for alcoholics and, uh, Lumbergo and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Not good for taste. But, um, I'd also drink bitter when, when, a, when a nice bitter came through, like um, things All Peculiar or things like that. Uh, one of the more well-known kind of real ale quasi mass produced beers would come through, and they brought one on, and it was Morehouse's Pendlewich. And I just remember drinking it thinking, this is bloody beautiful. And I thought Morehouse's, to make a beer like that must have been a big, big affair. And about three weeks later, I was driving through centre of Burnley and opposite some shops and a curry restaurant there was kind of a big garage really next to an empty parking lot and it had a sign on the side that said Morehouses I was like holy shit that's Morehouses Brewery it's a big it's like a garage you could put a bus in that was it that's a, as big as the brewery was and I th- I imagined Um, a brewery had to be like Whitbreads, it had to be a a, a thing that sprawled across hillsides with towers and stainless steel everywhere and factories and trucks coming in and that that was a brewery to me Mm -hmm. I'd never imagined that you could have a small brewery and uh, I had a friend a good friend at the time, he was a hotel manager and he'd done a a cellermans course because in the UK they have live real ale, the whole camera thing and he'd just been taught how to keep real ale and how to tilt it so sort the of sediment keeps going and the the beer keeps living and improving a certain way. And uh, he'd done that with Thwaites, and uh he said we should start up, we should brew our own beer because we live in amongst all these paddocks. He got a big shed slash barn thing at the back at my parents' place. We'll brew a beer and we'll call it Witch's Tit. That was going to be, we're going to do our homage to uh, more houses called Witch's Tit and we never did. <laughs> oh, <no.
0: laughs> so can you explain for um, those people not familiar with this, the British style of bitter? Because oh, it yeah. obviously has, it, it, when you're here, in particularly in Melbourne Austra- or in Australia, Victoria bitter is, it's, it's is, a, is a lager. It's a lager style. Can you explain what traditional style English bitter is?
1: I don't wanna use the cliche but I'm gonna have to. It's warm and flat. The it's it's a it's a very malty beer. It's usually it's carbonated naturally, so it's not force carbonated, they don't use carbon dioxide and it's pulled through a beer engine so that the the foam on the top is usually um part natural fermentation in the cask and part through a sprinkle on the end of the the, uh, the nozzle. So the beer gets uh, aerated as it goes into the glass, and uh, it's live, so it changes. It's open to the atmosphere when it's tapped, and it changes its characteristic as it ages. So you've got to drink it within a certain time, and it's got a really uh, it's got a lot of residual sweetness compared to um, beers that you would find here that would be termed bitters, because the the hop profile. The, typically there used to be I, I don't know what it's like now over there because the, the the beer thing has happened all over the world but back then like 15, 20 years ago uh, traditional camera real ale beer had a little bit of hop bitterness um, you could taste the hops you could taste the malts a lot of malt backbone to it but there wasn't any aroma particularly I remember when I was a young kid um, being taught Told about beer by an older bloke in Blackburn, and the brewery there was Thwaites, and he said Thwaites smells. <laughs> and like, what?
0: That sounds like something yeah. he would graffiti the bathroom yeah. toilet with. <laughs> said,
1: it's, it it, it was—it's like a really old English word, Thwaites, and some of the old blokes used to call it twatties. So he like, said twatties smells. He's like, and I could never get my head around it till I was like eighteen, legally drinking beer, and it did smell. I have no idea what it smelled of, but it 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 just smelled peculiar. It didn't smell bad. It didn't smell what you would call pleasant. It smelled like Thwaites. and it's al- it'd be great to go back now. Uh, the br- beer's probably changed now. It'd be great to go back and have a beer and actually smell it now and go, oh, I know what that is now.
0: But I suppose the is is the epitome of like a an English style bitter, as you say, warm, flat, texturally very uh, comforting. Mm. Uh and kind of more on the toffee side, the caramel side. Yeah, yeah. Like very, Lots of crystals. very comforting drink. Yeah. And kind of one that you and also probably in the threes or four percents. Yeah, never that's, that's really the you know, for drinking for a while because of the people who drink that style, yeah. They're out for six, eight, twelve pints, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. It was like eight, ten pints and that kind of thing. And um they, they, I remember Four and a half was kind of strong and I remember the brew pub I used to drink in, the, the The guy that owned it was um weapons designer for Ministry of Defence and he brewed one called Old Ben. It was a dark ale and it was 5.1 and I remember thinking, then, geez, that's strong.
0: He was a weapons designer for the Ministry of Defence. Yeah, yeah. bona fide weapons, that's, yeah. That's why, yeah. And that's why he's making such lethal beers, presumably. Yeah.
1: Uh, 5.1, <laughs> killer beer, yeah. yeah. But in a world where 3.7 is kind of standard, 5.1 is kind of, that's a strong beer.
0: It is, yeah. It's actually one of the things that I personally struggled with when I started getting into craft beer was how strong it was because I'd kind of grown up with the idea that beers sat around the beers I enjoyed yeah. sat around sort of three point two onwards to about yeah, yeah, four point eight yeah. would be adventurous. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. That'd be
1: pretty strong. Put hairs on your chest, as did say. Um, but no, it, it's bizarre. But um, I can't drink a lot of it. I remember I went back to the UK seven years ago, I think it was, and met up with some of the old mates. Went to the the same brew pub. The, the guy wasn't there, but he still ran it around it. Um, I decided I wasn't going to – I'd had a real ale earlier in the week and I'd struggled to drink the pint. It was just – after drinking pots and the, the kind of beer we drink here now, I struggled with the pint in the speed that the guys over there drink it. They just throw it back and you're like, jeez, you got that – how much? How quick? And uh, so I thought, I'm not going to embarrass myself on the night out. I'll drink a lager. Because that's kind of what I'm used to now. So I got a pint of. It was. I thought I'll go play safe. I've got tasteless. I've got Colin black label, and mm-hmm. it was horrible. It was gassy. It
0: spoiler alert. Yeah,
1: yeah spoiler <laughs> alert. In case you're unaware, don't drink Colin black label.
0: Medical advice. Um, do, you th- uh, do you know that they've been caught up in a scandal recently? No, in the UK. So they well, uh, adding false flavor to beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah themselves as beer yeah. no they um they say on the can it's 4.1 percent but they it's actually a lower percentage and they've been evading tax they or the, I the other, the other way around maybe they've, they they yeah. were saying so yeah. they were saying it was a lower percentage than what it actually was or one one they've been playing yeah. around with numbers i should have really checked this story well. out before yeah. broadcasting it but Research it, Carl, in, in the UK have certainly been in trouble because of playing with the uh. for excise duty.
1: Oh, there you go. Well, it doesn't surprise me considering the beer.
0: So any um, Australian <laughs> listeners who are doing that, they will catch up with you. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I had, uh, had the first pint, and then the, the, the mates were like, next round. And I remember having about a third of a pint left, going, oh, it's going to be one of these nights. So uh, we went to the next pub. I skipped the second round, bit of a wuss. Went to the second pub and thought, Fosters, that's going to be pretty safe. And I'd not drunk Fosters for even in the UK, I didn't drink Fosters. It was uh, sweet, horrible lager, and it was it just it just chemical sweetness. I remember that's what I remember about it. So I had the had the pint and got through that one, and I just remember feeling bloated and going, "Oh, this is not going to be a good night." So luckily for me, I'd gone all this way around the world to uh, catch up with old friends. And the third bar, the last bar for the evening, we ended up sitting in there all night for hours drinking. Uh, The guy was uh, some eclectic genius. He just decided, I'm going to open a bottle bar because this beer thing is starting to take off in the UK. I'm going to import or get my hands on beers from all over the world in bottles and just have a bottle fridge. And he had uh, a nice little bar with about 10, 15 bottle fridges of beer from all over the world so we started off drinking Nigerian Guinness uh, which was a bit of a revolution for me (laughs) because I'd I'd heard of it but I'd never had it and it's bloody beautiful and um, I thought then that's that's like an 8% beer or something that's pretty strong so there's no way you could stick on that drinking the speed that the Poms drink and they were smashing them back drinking whatever they could get they were staying at one side of the bar and I kind of wandered down to the back and looked in all these fridges and right down in second last or last fridge Two shells of red and two shells of green. And it was Cooper's. So I gone all 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 the way around the world. I'd started this brewing adventure. I'd made some beautiful beer and I'd gone all the way back to the UK to drink Cooper's sparkling. (laughs) So, yeah. I love Aussie beer.
0: (laughs) So, choice two.
1: Oh, this is a good one. I found out today when I was researching this. This is discontinued now. uh, Mud River, Steelhead, double IPA.
0: Mad River Steelhead double IPA. Yeah. Tell us more. This is discontinued.
1: Yeah. Th- it's so, th- so, Red Beer says, um, I'd met my wife. I was living in the Anaheim Hills in Southern California in Orange County and, uh, met Holly and she was, uh, producer at, uh, CBS. And, uh, she you know we'd gone out on a few dates and whatnot and christmas came up and she went to the world market in hollywood they got this they had this probably still got it uh, behind cbs studios this big market we can get all these different things from all different cultures and she got um 10 of the best craft beers in a box and they did 10 uh craft beer and i think 10 for uh, one was domestic and one was foreign so she got the domestic American and I sat in the house that I was living in, overlooking the hills, near, overlooking Disneyland so the fireworks went off drinking these beers and a couple of them were good a couple of them were like, hmm, you know could have given that a miss, but it was nice beer then I got to this this beer, I remember the, the label was a blue green it had a steelhead salmon leaping out of a river drawn on it, like a hand drawing kind of thing Uh, mad river across the top steelhead ipa double ipa and it was the first double ipa i'd ever had and my it was my epiphany my awakening to the the ipa them and the hop contagion and i just remember sitting on the sofa watching a movie the guy that was living with he was drinking some red wine and he was talking away and i was kind of Slipped out of the conversation for five minutes. I thought, fuck me, what is this? <laughs> and I remember sitting there. I could hear a voice talking at me, and there was no response, because I was just looking at his label, going, this is beautiful. It, and it was it was great. So it's kind of, my wife's been an enab- enabler for some years now.
0: <laughs> well, so you were dating at the time? Yeah, yeah, we were dating, yeah. And did you think at that time, she's a keeper? <laughs> She not not yeah, in so many beers. words, but I thought, <laughs> it's so if I'm dating someone who looks
1: that, that beautiful, and she buys me 10 beers, and <laughs> has the foresight not to sit next to me while I'm drinking them, that's 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 pretty how close to ro- keep her. How romantic. Yeah, like there's some beers, fuck off, go and drink them. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, no, so I, yeah, I kind of, I was introduced to the whole beer thing in California, and... Uh, Still at this point, on the beer journey, I've still not brewed a beer. So, um, um, Mad River, are they... I think they're still going, but the beer's discontinued. But it was, um, this was like 10 years ago, so... Yeah. But it was, I just remember, big, really balanced malt hop profile. But in terms of the hopping profile, not too bitter. Uh, A little bit of bitterness there. But just a, the, the maltiness, the the, the the backbone of the malt was balanced by the mid hot profile. So that instead of being all on the aroma or all on the bitter, it's just this big flavor in the middle that you could really get your teeth into. And I just remember thinking, I've never had a beer like this before.
0: Can I you remember the percentage alcohol of being a heavy hitter? It's
1: about six.
0: It wasn't okay. that big.
1: About six or something like that, I yep. think. I drank quite a few that night, but I, I remember I was kind of. I remember feeling that, that I'd had three or four before that one. and I remember thinking I'll put them away and go and drink some wine because we had like, we had a wine cellar. gone and drink some really nice wines. And I thought I'll just get one more, and that was the one, the last one.
0: <laughs> the, those famous last words. Yeah, just was, one more.
1: It was, and I remember thinking after that there was a movie on the on the screen we were watching. Thought I can't on, why now? I've got to get the next one because if this is the, if this is a curve and it's <laughs> going to continue, if this is the, a linear progression, this is going to be phenomenal. But there were some good beers. I had a couple more after that, but none really quite to that level.
0: So, no. Yeah. Mad is Mad River. Is that is that in California? Is that no, no. I
1: think they're um, from memory. I think they're Oregon based.
0: Oh, okay. Hmm. So we we've gone from uh, from Burnley, Burnley. To the US, choice three. Choice three
1: is... See, now this is difficult because I've come with a list of six beers and it took me quite a while to get the sixth one because I had five over the last couple of days and I hadn't realised they needed to be commercial. Mm, So three of them are my own
0: beers. So one of the... um one of the rules of the chosen brew is that they have to have been commercially available at some point, at some time.
1: My home brew has never been commercially available <laughs> to anyone ever. You wouldn't let anybody get
0: there. You drank it before it well, could get on the yeah, shelves, is that?
1: <laughs> I actually had, um, the talk about that, uh, Spark, because to, I've told a number of people to brew. See, the thing with my brewing is being engineering background, looking to the ins and outs and kind of building the brewery and perfecting the the brewery and the machines and the flow and what I want to get out of it and semi-automating it and pumps and building a constant hopper and all this kind of stuff. And um, not so much the brewing now to get the beer because initially I couldn't get the beers readily available that I was used to in the States. So that's why I started brewing. But then it became a case of um, I want to perfect what I consider to be an IPA. So I spent a year just brewing IPAs, getting That's bigger. That's it, and just IPAs and giving a lot of it away mm. because I couldn't drink at all and I wanted to brew another one. So I, I, for me, the, the the beauty is you taste the beer at the fermenter and then you you get the beer ready to drink. You gas it or whatever you do with whatever style you're doing. Taste it at the beginning and in the middle and at the end. If, if I get three pots, I'm happy because then you see the, the, the flavour profile change. Um, I've done, did a, I'll talk about it later, did a Chimay Blue clone and I sat it under my desk in the study for uh, 18 months and, keg, and took the keg out and tapped it and it was bloody beautiful. <laughs> so. But um, the, uh, yeah, the third beer. Choice three. Was going to be my first all grain, which I called NFB, nice fucking beer, which got me a quarter of a point of a bronze medal. On my first all grain. I thought I'd like to mention that, but then you told me you can't.
0: <laughs> so um, I won't. But what yeah, no, did. You it, can mention that you uh, I can got mention the, won the bronze. I you didn't just... win it.
1: No, I was quite one point or quarter of a point or something off in a pro arm competition. Wow. And that was. It took me. It, it was a bit of a feat because the brewery was still cobbled together. It was the first incarnation of the brewery. And. Uh, I came across, it was the competition run out of by the guys at Nail Ale over in Perth. Mm. And uh, came across it at the last minute, sent two bottles over, and got a, a letter back with a really good result, really good feedback, and pretty good score. And that was my
0: first all-grain. And it, was this in your... Your beer engineer days
1: this was the start of the beer engineer so we we will talk a bit yeah, more yeah. about we'll the beer about engineer because yeah.
0: that that is probably the moniker i'm going to use for this episode yeah yeah, uh, yeah, but um tell us about your third choice
1: third choice is innocent gun bourbon aged scotch ale.
0: And that was like a kind of a special edition. You've got the Innocent Gun yeah. like, flagship, which is like almost like drinking vanilla ice cream. I yeah, think. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they, they bring out these...
1: The, every now and again, they bring out these bizarre... They, I think they just let the brewer do what he wants to do and push <laughs> boundaries a little bit within a certain style. But uh, I'd, I'd taught a few people to brew, one of which was another Brit, and uh, I bumped into him a party and his, my wife said to his wife "Oh, right, my husband brews beer and michelle neil's husband is, said oh neil's brewed beer and so we started talking and he said yeah i brewed two beers in my life and they were both horrible
0: <laughs> always but, talking himself yeah. up uh, actually neil smith is an avid listener to the chosen is he? brew he you
1: know he's starting his own brewery commercial
0: brewery in the uk now and that is a scoop for The Chosen Brew. There so you go, broken here. We might well uh, get him as a guest on you a future do. episode. So, yeah, um, yeah. so Neil, <laughs> Neil Smith, um, he'd brew two beers. This is not good for his commercial uh, no, side of things, but he's <laughs> brewed two beers. They're both terrible. He meets you.
1: Yeah, we, we were drinking at uh, a common friend's barbecue one some sunday afternoon had a few beers in us and um we came together funnily enough not over beer because the beer thing had kind of the conversation had happened and it, it had gone and i kind of went oh yeah yeah well i brew beer and my beer's good <laughs> and he was like all right fair enough but there was another guy who was being really racist to someone else and me and neil just kind of took it upon ourselves and said no you can't we were kind of stood up and did the honourable thing. I said, you, you need to just back off and put your head in the hole somewhere, mate. <laughs> and it got it kind of both of us a little bit angry and we kind of bonded over that moment. And Ray-
0: racism, bringing people
1: together. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was just like, yeah, I, I won't go into what the guy said, but it was pr- pretty deplorable to say the least. And I was kind of, at first I thought he was joking and then I realised, no, this guy's for real.
0: What a horrible man. Yeah,
1: and it was like, And Neil was kind of—you could see Neil going through the same process, going, "Oh yeah, yeah, having a laugh, having no." He's not. He's been serious. What a dick! So we kind of stood up, put our hands up, and said, "Enough's enough, mate. Bugger off." And uh, then we got to talking. We kind of bonded over that and said, "So about your beer? Why is it? Why is it terrible?" He said, "Well, I don't know. I just made the beer and tried it, and it was shit. So I'm never making beer again, and I drink lager." Oh, look! I'll tell you what. (laughs) I'll do your deal and this was the first time I ever did it I said I'll teach you to do beer because I've made a few I've got a brewery and I make beer Um, come to one of my brew days when I'm doing a beer you know have a look and see what you can learn and hopefully whatever you're doing wrong you can correct and we'll fix your beer problem and you can go away and brew beer and uh, the beast was unleashed and uh, we kind of built a really good friendship he's gone back to the UK now um, but we, he built his own, well, I built his brewery for him and he kind of finished it off. And um, we uh, we brewed some fantastic beers. And he went from being a lager drinker to brewing, of all things, mild. And I'd never in my life <laughs> drank a mild. Because when I grew up where I came from in the UK, it was what the old men drank on the corner of the bar because they had a prostate problem or something. I don't know why they drank it. It just didn't seem like beer to me. And I tasted his mild, and it was really good.
0: I am a secret mild drinker as well. I, I drank mild when I was, like, well, eight, eight legal age, 18, yeah. 19. I was drinking mild. Yeah. All the old men in the pub were drinking mild. All the young people were drinking lager. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was with the old men all the time. I was always drinking... Mild was great. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. And then I actually tried Neil Smith's um, Mild as oh, well yeah, yeah. and was pretty impressed with it. But do you know a nice little round thing to this story? Neil Smith taught me how to brew.
1: I heard that. And so, your first beer was the
0: Because my first beer that
1: nearly got the medal is the beer now. Because it's a really simple beer to, to brew and it's a really tasty American Pale Ale that you can modify really simply by uh, just dropping some of the grains out, changing the grain bill a little bit or whatever. Uh, the first time I made it was all Amarillo uh, for the hops, and you can pretty much use any moderate hop profile on it. You you, you don't have to go massive alpha acids. Any aroma hop or dual-purpose hop will give you... A re- it's, it's just a really robust recipe. And for that purpose, I found that I could and it's simple to follow, gives you a really good beer that's not going to scare you off if it goes a bit askew in whatever part of the process. So I've taught like 10 or 11 people with this recipe, and it, it's now in the UK, someone's <laughs>
0: brewed in the US, and you brew it now. So it's quite strange because um, this this uh, this seems very, very self-indulgent for us to go down this rabbit hole. Pop, hmm. it's my podcast let's exactly. do it yeah. so <laughs> we'll, you can always skip this bit but um what's interesting is that um i have actually only a few weeks ago i found a little piece of paper which where neil smith had given me the instructions huh. to to brew this beer that That's you're like talking eight years about years old. yeah it's it literally eight years old. So. I think you showed him how yeah, to brew yeah. it. He told me over the phone, I was making notes and drawing things of how to brew it because I was a complete yeah. novice and still am. And um, I I found that piece of paper. I actually posted it on Instagram oh, wow. <laughs> a, a few weeks ago. So if any listeners want to see that original yeah. piece of paper, uh, that is the chain of command in well, <laughs> <I'm> brewing. <laughs> so. I called
1: it. Um, I had to come up with a name for it for the competition. You had to give it a name. So uh, I, I just people had said to me, "What what what is it? So it's American parallel, but what, what do you call it? You've Got to have a name. I just call it Nice Fucking Beer. So I, I christened it <laughs> NFB, and I've still I've still got the recipe in my in my files somewhere NFB and um, yeah. So um, getting back to the innocent gun, Neil and I used to when we were brewing together, we would decide on a style we or uh, a, a a target, let's say. And we'd go to a bottle shop that had a good selection that we knew were not dodgy imports. They were well cared for. So it wouldn't be Dan Murphy or it wouldn't be Uncle Dan's, let's say. Uh,
0: (laughs) There goes the sponsorship deal for the podcast. (laughs) Whoops.
1: Sorry. Um, We'd go to a bottle shop and we'd kind of look at what was available and pick what we knew to be the target. And then we'd kind of go around about that style and we'd have six or so and we'd just kind of drink them in an evening and try and pull them apart taste-wise and try and figure out which we preferred. More hops, more this, more that, more whatever, whatever style it was. And um, we did it for an oatmeal stout. We did it for a wheat beer. We did it for a number of beers. But then we got to the point where we were making really good beer consistently, and he came up with this Innocent Gun beer. He said, I've just found it. Never had it before. It's really smoky. Like, what do you mean smoky? It's like, it's just, it's got this smoke thing going on, but it's not a smoky beer. It's because it's aged in these casks, and it's a limited edition. I'm like, all right, so he got me a bottle, and they come in um, really small bottles. I forget, like 250 milliliters or something. So I had a bottle. I thought, oh, that's really, it's a, quite a strong taste, but it was a good beer. So he just said, brew it. I said, okay. (laughs) So we spent about two or three weeks emailing back and forth similar recipes, taking elements from this and elements from that. Based on the experience we had of brewing all the beers we brewed and doing all similar profiles along that kind of style range, based on what we'd done and what we'd experimented with, what we thought a good base recipe would be and he took it one way and I took it slightly differently and when the beers were finished they were both good beers uh we went to my shed uh one summer Sunday afternoon and we got we had one innocent gun we had a pot each of my beer and a pot each of his beer we knew which was which but we didn't we didn't tell ourselves it was kind of blind tasting and we both agreed Mine was the better of the two, and it was pretty damn close to the Innocent Gun, but it wasn't exactly the same. And uh, that was the part I thought, oh, really, this beer designing, beer engineering thing is really kind of coming to the fore.
0: So it wasn't necessarily like you didn't drink that beer and go, wow, that's changed the way I think beer. But it's actually the process afterwards where you actually tried to clone that beer then that then becomes gives an importance to that beer. Yeah, you yeah, think? yeah. Oh, hang on.
1: For me, it's the brewing. It's the right, It's not the drinking of the beer. I, I, I could happily drink. Like last week, I was drinking Melbourne bitter. I could happily drink any beer. Um, some beers are great. Some beers are not so great. It's more about the what you want to do with it in terms of brewing for me.
0: And is this? It comes back to your wanker curve.
1: Oh, the wanker curve. Yeah, we said we would get back to that. <laughs> yeah, the wanker curve. Um, I studied, when I wanted to get out of engineering, I studied psychology because it's probably the best degree that you can use in any industry, anywhere, or if you break yourself, you could use it on yourself. <laughs> if you drink too much, you could tell yourself, why are drinking too much, or something crazy like that. So when you study psychology, it's a lot of statistics, and they come up with these normal curves. So everyone gets placed on a curve, or whatever... Issue they m- think they have, or are told they have, or want, or don't want, and uh, so there's this standard normal curve, bell curve. Everyone knows what it looks like. And when I what I kind of coined was the wanker curve. And you take the normal curve, the bell curve, and you, at the top of it, right at the peak of the mountain, you are ultimate wanker. And so your journey starts off on the left side of the curve, and you, you you're on the plateau, and you're drinking commercial beer and then at some point you start to go up an incline you have a craft beer you have a really nice beer someone may enable you by giving you a good beer and <laughs> saying, put that vb down son and then you you, you have this little light switch on and you think this is really good and then you look for another one and then somewhere along the curve about 25 percentile you start to think about brewing and that's where it really goes wrong <laughs> because the curve gets really steep then and you get to the top of the wanker curve and people don't drink with you when you're right at the top because you brew your own beer and you know so much about beer that people don't want to talk to you anymore because all you talk about is beer and you won't drink Carlton Draft with the family when you go out for a family meal even though it's the only beer on tap because you just don't drink beer by Carlton and then you come down the other side of the, the wanker curve And you start to realize you've got no friends anymore. But but you've got this really good skill, and people want to speak to you, but not for too long because you're a wanker. But your beer's really good. (laughs) So hopefully, you you psychoanalyze yourself and you come back down the other side You think, yeah, I should really start to drink other beer again. And you go to the bottle, somebody say, How much for a bottle? (laughs) How much? But it's good beer, mate. So like you, you come back down, there and I am firmly now out the other side, and I'll happily sit with anyone and drink a VB or a Melbourne bitter, and I quite like Melbourne bitter to be honest. And um, and some people, some listeners on this podcast are really gonna be upset because I said that. <laughs> um, but then conversely, I'll drink some obscure beer by an, a, an unknown brewery that's made with like fresh oysters in it or bacon, and just think that is beautiful, and it's. From a brewing perspective, for me, it's the process of brewing. Um, I, I met uh, a brewer, former Carlton United brewer. He worked with Stocker Brewery for a while, Vince Costanzo. When I started brewing, and we did a, a little bit of a project together, and he came out with a statement. This was um the I was going up the wanker curve at this point, and he said, "What's the best beer in Australia?" I, thought, oh, I have no idea, and I started naming all these. Out there, beers because they had different flavor profiles or great marketing or whatever it may be. And he just turned around and said, Carlton Draft. I was like, You're off your rocker. There's no way that is the best beer. He said, No, it is. It doesn't offend anybody. Everyone will drink it. Even if you don't like beer, you'll happily drink that if that's what's offered. If you have a curry, it goes with a curry. If you have, you know, roast pork, it goes with everything. doesn't offend anybody. It never changes. It is always the same, and you can get it everywhere. And I, I disagreed with him for, like, 12 months. I thought, what a dick. But then I kind of agree with it, and I, I wholeheartedly agree with what he said. He's right. It's the, most, it's the best beer in Australia. That OVB perhaps. Probably caught on draft. Because anyone can drink it anywhere, anytime and get the same experience the same sadly can't be said I think for some craft beers because of the way they're imported under the grey imports and you go to a bottle shop with the best of intention you pay your money and you go home and the beer's skunked it may have been great beer wherever it was made in California or South Africa or Japan or wherever but in your kitchen it's pretty crap Carlton Draft won't do that well I think um, not that I'm advocating call to draft
0: (laughs) I'm still thinking about where I am on the curve uh, and I think I got to the point where you said you lose all your friends but you forgot the bit where you say you lose all your friends then you make a podcast (laughs) oh yeah 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 then you you get false friends (laughs) I really like you so um, choice four
1: choice four well this again was one of my own oh this was my brother's brewer brew from uh he brewed a, a beer at the wedding. But I can't talk about it.
0: He brewed a beer for your yeah, wedding. Yeah,
1: yeah, we got married in um on the beach. We hired a house on the beach just in a place called Aptos, which was just south of Santa Cruz and uh he was the best man and I said, Your your job is very important. It is the beer and he was already brewing, he'd done like six or so different beers and they were pretty good. And um I said make make two batches so he bought the bottles made two beers and uh we got two 50 liter kegs from the local craft brewer out the back of the house and got all f- friends from australia we have family in the states they came over family in the uk came loads of people and the homebrew went first even wow. people that didn't necessarily like homebrew tried it well that's really good So that was going to be my fourth beer,
0: Um, but it's not commercially available. Perhaps it should have been. It should have been. But it wasn't. So what is your fourth choice?
1: The fourth choice is going to be a beer that I found last week, which is Brewdog's Elvis Juice.
0: Tell us more. Brewdog Elvis Juice. Brewdog, uh, fair to say, as a brewery, have courted their own controversy uh, within... The wider media and particularly <laughs> within beer <laughs> beer circles, yeah. Um, so and part of me kind of likes the show, yeah, yeah, um, yeah definitely. But t- first off, tell us about what Elvis Juice is.
1: It's uh, it's a grapefruit IPA. Uh, grape is it grapefruit infused? Is that the correct? I term? think
0: they it says grapefruit infused yeah. IPA on the
1: on the tin. And um, see, I went to the bottle shop because uh, I just moved house, so I have none of my own beer. And it's often a good adventure for me to go to a bottle shop because it's like, oh, 50 beers and I just want one. <laughs> uh, I, I know what I like and I know what I don't like, which is not that much, but um, it's like, oh, so hard. And I went to the uh, bottle shop just down the road and that was like one of the first that caught my eye and I went to a different one, but I kept coming back to it. And I'd had um, Morning to Peninsula beer uh, that was also in on the shelf, a big IPA. I, I had just had that the night before. I thought, oh, I'll get four of those. But no, and I kept coming back. I don't know what it was. I've got this thing with Brewdog. Some of the beers get so much marketing hype and so much media hype through user-generated content and online stu- stuff on Facebook or whatever channel you, you, you find it. You then go to get the beer and it doesn't live up to the hype. It's a good beer, but it not necessarily doesn't live up match the hype. And then again you get some beers and it is so on point. It's exactly what they said it was and it it's got the it's got their personality locked in. So I took a punt and I got four of that and four of the morning to peninsula. Yeah, I took it home. It looked bizarre. It's called Elvis Juice. I thought this is gonna be either great or it's gonna be one of their close but not quite their beers. And it was bloody beautiful. It's a big really well balanced IPA it's got a it's got a really well supported backbone with all the malt profiles it's, 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 the malt just sits on the middle of your tongue and you, it's nice nice mouth feel but the hops aren't too overpowering and right in the middle of all of this holding it all together is this grapefruit tang that for me just sits right in the center of your mouth and it's like a little bubble that just pops with each, each mouthful and it's Bloody beautiful, and I recommended it to a friend who, had the most recent uh, ex- person to experience the uh, beer teaching of my shed, <laughs> I sent her a message <laughs> and said, you need to get it, it's just down the road from you The bottle shop, they had uh, some in stock, you need to get some,
0: I don't know how much they've got, but get it. So, And it's about 6.5% around yeah, that mark, yeah. and... It's uh, what's interesting about it is that you don't get a huge grapefruit aroma. No, there's, uh, hardly but any. It's all in the in locked in the beer itself, yeah, all yeah, in the taste. Yeah. I've had kind of grapefruit beers which are very aromatic, but lack in taste, and this is the opposite. So it's quite a surprise. I find yeah. when you drink it, it it is very surprising. It's, but it's,
1: for for an IPA, it's not on. It's not. It doesn't punch on the nose. Um, doesn't really dance around that whole lot but then it's just all in the mouth and it's just so well balanced and right in the middle of this top of the mouth is all this hot glory stuff going on the really nice hot flavor quite well balanced underpinned by the malts but in the middle it's just this little grapefruit pop with every mouthful and it a thing i do with one of one of my beers is um it's quite a bit of beer it's like in terms of ibu it's like 70 ibu's or something one of my American parallels, And what I do is I, I get um, a sweet orange, like a navel, and using some yeast that have got a citrus tang and some of the hops like mosaic and simcoe, they've got that citrusy element to them, and um, chinook is a good one. But what I do is I peel the edge of the rind off and drop it in the bowl right at the last minute, and you get the the citrus flavor cuts through the bitterness it's like the way gelati does between the mm. course of a meal the same thing in a beer you slip a little bit of citrus into a beer and you can get a really bitter beer that doesn't hurt your tongue but you still get the bitterness you still enjoy it it's still balanced
0: i and think those beers those styles have become more and more popular and i think some of the breweries in australia are doing them particularly well yeah um particularly using those types of mosaic hops and Danton. Yeah, Dainton. What? What Dainton?
1: Dan Dainton down at Dainton from the brewery. Um,
0: Previous guest on the show. Oh, so really? Yeah, yeah good so mate, man. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, uh, yeah, he does. Or he did last year. I did that blood orange. Yes, monster. Was that an IPA? Yeah. It was I can't remember what that was. Yeah. But he, he did. He did a blood orange thing, and he's he's got the balloon of ice. But yeah, he's yeah, I think the blood orange might have been a one-off. I can't remember. That was like eighteen yeah, months ago. Possibly. Yeah, two years ago.
0: And they've been doing very well with the. Um, I think they won an award for the Porter, the... Uh, Best
1: beer in Australia, wasn't it?
0: I think so, yeah. It was like cherry wood oak yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I saw him in smoked suit. porter or something like that.
1: Yeah, the first time I've seen him in a suit, I thought he...
0: Were well, you a bit scared seeing Dan Dayton in a suit?
1: Well, uh, he's not a, the body type to be wearing a suit. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I thought he'd come from court. <laughs> yeah.
0: I, I won't possibly comment, but he was a great listen uh, for his six beers. So, um Choice five.
1: Oh, Chimay Blue.
0: Chimay Blue has appeared a few times on really? the podcast already. Uh, huh. Chimay is fallen into that category of the, that epiphany beer. So, but tell us why it is for you.
1: Oh, well, for me, one. I've got two uh, beers that I consider a kind of a class above most others. That is Rochefort Ten and Chimay Blue. I've never tried to brew... Some things you just got to leave alone and don't poke them with a stick. And one of those is Roseford 10. Uh, But I did about... Five years ago, I guess. Yeah, five or six years ago, I did brew... I used to brew a lot of Belgian doubles and that kind of style when I started brewing. And that was my thing. And I'd have an IPA or a Pale Ale... On the side, just to clean your mouth afterwards, and um, I really I, I did a modit uh, clone Unibro modit, and that I did a taste test, and that was some mates when we were still living in Port Melbourne, and um, two of the blocks preferred mine, I preferred modit, and it was a blind taste, and another block preferred modit, so it was, that was a good result, and it's something I've always been uh keen on is the belgian double of thing because you get all this such a super complex flavor profile y- you can really push the taste with it because it's so big and mouthfeel and so much yeah, just it, lots of craziness going on in that flavor so I, I did a Chimay blue and i didn't know what it tasted like because i put it under my desk in the study for 12 or 18 months and uh, i'd kind of forgotten about it for quite a while and they was sat there and uh, thought, Oh, I'll tap that. So, um put it on tap in the shed, in the big shed brewery and um it was pretty damn close. Pretty close. I wouldn't necessarily call it Chimay blue, but it was it was very, very close. And uh, that because of the nature of the beer, you you don't drink a lot of it all at once. It stayed on tap for quite a while and a few quite a few friends were sad when it finished <laughs>
0: so uh, like as as an avid homebrewer the it, it's that what's that moment like when you kind of get close to such a a legendary beer are you do you like did you go into the uh, the other room and punch the air or what <laughs> or did you no, i just think what the what the hell did i do <laughs>
1: i've got notes you know one of the first things vince taught me is i always write down everything you do you know Coming from the engineering background, doing a beer engineer, um, I'm an advocate that you can get great beer with uh, minimal resources. You don't need three vessels, two pumps, temperature control, this, that, and the other one's automated, computer-driven, whatevers. Um, If you've got basic gear in an apartment, you can brew great beer, and it's about the processes and pr- being, having an engineer in mind, it's the systemization of it. So it's, I've got the recipe, I've got the how the temperature ramp went during the fermentation, the times, got all that written down. And it's, uh, it's, it's it, this is where the alchemy really comes in because you can look at like the scientific, the experimental evidence that you've got written down of this is the recipe, this was the water. You can get the the uh, the, the, the chemical, the mineral composition of your water. Melbourne's pretty good for that. Um, they've got great water. Um, you can use different things to bring like the the magnesium level up or the sulfates up. So you can change all the waters and that's all recorded as well in my brew sheets. But then you still you know exactly what you've done, but then it's just like alchem alchemic more we think, but how
0: did this happen? (laughs) So so then it does it, it does it become difficult to replicate? Because I suppose you spend a lot of time and effort in making that beer. Can you then just make it, or will it always be different?
1: No, no. uh, With the parallel, the American parallel, that I teach the one you do now, Mm. and quite a few people do, I can replicate that time and time again. But for me, that's not what excites me. The the exciting Mm. thing is I'm going to drop this out now and I'm going to put this in to see what happens. That's why I spent one year just doing IPAs um, I did an IPA once it was like 120 IBUs because I could I couldn't taste most of them I don't think (laughs) Um, but uh, yeah it's like super hoppy super flavourful beers and I just wanted to know if I kept the same grain bill the same simple moderate grain bill and just used different hops so you can get to know the hop profile and just blow it out the ocean with as much hops as you could in a beer so you get green foam it's like, what will that taste like? And it was beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> you so, so you won. Yeah.
0: It, it, I suppose there is, the from interviewing and speaking to brewers and people in the beer industry, there does seem to be this conflict between consistency and creativity. Yeah, yeah. And so for you, you kind of side on the a creative, creative yeah. side. Uh, for others, I suppose the extreme end is like we were talking about before. I can't draft is ultra consistent. It's, it's brilliant. That's it its said, job, yeah. uh, it's consistent everywhere you get it, and so I suppose craft beer, for want of a better term, lies See, somewhere yeah. in between. them.
1: The, the thing I like about craft beers that you don't get particularly a lot of, and it, maybe it's because of the, the market isn't that evolved in the mass side of things, is I like come from the background I did growing up where I did. Beer changed week to week because it was live. And it's good to have know that you're going to get a, a certain style that's within a certain range. Instead of being pinpointed exactly what you're going to get every time, it's good to know it's going to be about this and it's going to be about that. And it may change this week to that week because you have an experience. Um, you're going to, let's say, you're going to the tap house in St. Kilda. You drink the beer that you drank the month before. But it's changed a bit because of some obscure reason, like they used a different malt, perhaps, so that the, the flavor profile has changed a little bit. Um, that, for me, is great brewing because it's you, you're allowing the brewer to kind of experiment a little bit and show his art and his skill, but it's still within the bounds of commerciality.
0: Yeah so we should be you're saying we should be more accepting of yeah. of those little nuances within uh,
1: things that may go wrong in the process aren't necessarily wrong
0: Yeah and like I suppose I've listened to uh Char- Charlie um, Banffuth uh, yep. from from Wigan uh did the commute from Wigan to California, now is uh, heading up a, a brewery course in a university in California. Yeah. And he talks passionately about consistency being king, about, uh, I don't want to speak for him because he can speak a lot of words for himself, but this thing about uh, con- nailing consistency. And if you are, I suppose, if you're spending good money on beer, should you not be spending that and expecting getting exactly what you expect
1: i think yeah i think it comes down to this thing of you've got creators creatives and analysts an analyst will want the exact same thing time and time again replication identical beer whereas a creative will find that's why people enjoy art because the brushstrokes are chaotic or there's a certain chaos happening there and but there's beauty happening here and one art you can see the progression. Like if uh, I'm not a fan of Picasso. My wife's got a art collection. She's not got a Picasso, thank God. <laughs> but um you can see the p- progression, and I use him as an example uh in his work, going through different schools of design and thought. It'd be great for more for me p- for to see more brewers, local brewers and regional brewers have say two or three mainstays that are without doubt going to be identical every single batch. but then have another four that changed. Uh, we, we used Cryer Malt last time we're going to use Joe White this time and see what happens and just let people know and it, it's a story in itself uh, so, I
0: it, suppose it is about educating the consumer to yeah. kind of expect difference yeah. in certain things and maybe go back to this those core ranges and it.
1: you probably find you know, working in with the marketing agencies that I do, you, you probably find that some pubs, some re- uh, venues won't accept that because they want their customer to have the same experience time and time again. It's a brand. They want to underpin that brand. They want to deliver the same experience every time, no matter what. But then you're going to have other venues where people are more open to suggestion, like the tap house in St Kilda, where you could put that on tap and say, last month we did it with this, this month we did it with that. Or you could even have them side by side. You know, I don't think that would work in a bar particularly, but you know, who knows?
0: That would be a good uh, test if anyone's willing to put that to the, to, you know, yeah. slightly new, new, almost like a vertical tasting, like mm. slight different nuances. I suppose that there is a bit of a trend of doing that. Um say I think Brewdog Dog did do the single hop series where they yeah. use the same bass and you threw in one different hop and things like that so you can taste Yeah. Ben Krause does it a lot, he does single Yeah, hops. and Bridge, yeah. Bridge Road, yeah. So yeah. um yeah, definitely there's there's something in it. So we've been on a a great journey, oh. Ian. So uh what we got choice now? six.
1: Choice. oh choice six. Stone's eleventh anniversary, black IPA. And this is, this is beautiful for me, the name Sublimely Self Righteous.
0: <laughs> Tell us more about. Is this I, Stone in the US? Yeah, Stone from San Diego. Not Stones Bitter in no. the UK. <laughs> no, no. That's a very different I've kettle of I don't want ever be reminded again.
1: <laughs> um, no, so st- st- I was in the bottle shop. S- yeah, Stone from San Diego. And as most people know, they do an anniversary beer every year. And uh, it's a one-off, and a few years ago they released a whole swathe of the recipes online. And uh, I got the uh, the 11th anniversary, and I bought it in St Kilda. And uh, I remember thinking, I'd had a few Stone Arrogant Bastard-type beers when I lived in California, and they were good, and I thought I'd never had one in Australia, so I just picked one up, and it was the 11th anniversary, and the art on those bottles with the demon is pretty good they're on their own with that one I just thought, yeah, I'll give it a whirl and I wasn't really paying attention and I thought it was a porter because I looked at the beer and looked at the bottle I was kind of thinking about something else I thought oh, a porter would be good for tonight and uh, bought it, chilled, it was chilled took it home, about 9 o'clock I was doing something in the brewery cracked it, poured it, music was on I was fixing something in the brewery modifying something, as you do poured it, and it looked like a porter. It had that kind of dark, creamy porter of coffee froth, had the, the consistency to be a porter, tasted it. I was like, whoa, what's going on? And I, had, I remember sitting down in the deck chair thinking, this is all right. right. The world just kind of went, ooh, stop spinning. I was like, this, and it just wasn't, I think the, the thing, it was a beautiful beer, but it it was the... Cognitive dissonance, to use the psycholo- psychological term, that I expected one thing, got something else that was way better. <laughs> wow, that it, doesn't always happen. Yeah, I expected a really damn good porter, but I got this big chocolatey, little bit of chocolate, but a lot of coffee, IPA. Like, coffee is great, beer is great, IPA is beautiful. Put all three together, you've got a winner. That's pretty much what they did. And they gave it a sublime, self-righteous, not many people can get away with that as a name, but they did. And uh, yeah, that was, that's my sixth beer. That was, yeah, that, I had a hall of fame in the kitchen for a few years before my son was born, and I, the beer bottles that I really liked went up there. That was up there all the
0: time. I've, I've still got the bottle somewhere. And that was just a one-off, so they never. I think that commercial. Or? They. I remember a few
1: years ago there was a big kind of. I was going to say public outcry, but it's not quite that big. <laughs> but um, there was there was a big. F- they've got a massive following. They've got a lot of fans, and um, people wanted certain anniversary beers to be more available, so they did. The, they released the recipes. I've got some of the recipes somewhere in a file. But I th- they, they put two, I think, one or two into commercial production, and I think that might have been one of them. I'm not sure. I remember hearing about it or reading about it somewhere in my feed one morning going, oh, I'll, I'll, get I'll be able to get it again. So maybe maybe it is in production now. I'll have to go and dig it out. Yeah, I
0: think we'll have a few listeners trying oh, to uh, scamper de- for that yeah.
1: one. The, uh, the recipes, I think I've seen the recipe online. You, Google will find it for you, but definitely worth it.
0: Well, Ian, you've taken us through those six beers and some great stories as well about some of the non-commercially produced beers that originally made in your six but couldn't be allowed Mm. because of the, The you know, the very fastidious Jobsworth who runs this podcast. And uh, we've got a couple more things to go through, which is your ultimate beer snack and the receptacle you're going to drink the six beers out of. So the ultimate beer snack is
1: cured meat and good cheese and for me the oh, not that I'm, I don't know the guys but you go to leo's in queue they've got a great counter you can get some of the cheeses you, you slice them like the the breeze and the camemberts and it just dribbles out
0: wow it's like it's it's,
1: it's like cream it's beautiful and so, the the meats the cured meats they have are really nice it's a bit expensive but worth it and uh, when you're sat on the deck with a couple of good mates, music on, brewing a beer, eating that, drinking a beer, doesn't get any better.
0: Can't beat it. Yeah. And what about, what what what's your go-to beer glass or receptacle?
1: My go-to, I have had, I've told Holly, my wife this, before I left, um, I've had two go-to beer glasses. Both are broken. So I don't have one at the moment. The first one, was given to me by Neil Smith. Uh, it was he f- bought it in an op shop. It was a vintage Foster's pot glass with a stem.
0: Oh it was wow!
1: Sixties, like and it, it was just right because I prefer the brewing to the drinking, and it was like a, a small pot glass. It was just big enough so you could get a, a nice drink, but you didn't have to drink a lot of beer. And if you had friends round, I could drink that. Every time they had a pot or a pint I could drink one of those. It was perfect. And I forget why it, I think it got left in the shed and got broken or something. But the, the second one was um very good friends with Evan Evans, the Tazzy beer doctor. He's if he's not been on the podcast you need to get him on. Um he did he worked at University of Tasmania. He did um masses and masses of research into beer production and from grain to glass. And he did um a pouring study few years ago, five years ago, he did, the, like, how the pore affects the flavour, and, um, he got, uh, he did an analysis of glass types, and all that he full-on scientific analysis, got, got it paid for, lucky bugger, but <laughs> part of the thing, it was, he got, that was just about when Samuel Adams released that glass that they had a few years ago, that as being the ultimate beer glass, before Spiegelau came along with theirs, their IPA thing, and, um, he gave me one, we went to see him, he's a family friend, went to see him in Tassie and he gave him one, brought it back and that was the second go-to glass and I dropped that one in the kitchen.
0: Well asked gratitude, isn't it? Uh, I was. I was <laughs> he, he comes
1: around, every, every time he's back in Melbourne he comes over to the shed to try the beers and they uh, a couple of times, a couple of years ago I was like, where's the beer glass? So I dropped it. Sorry,
0: it's quite. Uh, is it? Uh, it is heartbreaking. Is it? Uh, yeah, it's yeah. one of the things why I included it as part of the chosen brew because, actually, things that we drink beer out of, you you don't realize how much you care about them until oh yeah, they're yeah, gone. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. when you when you you know when they crump crumble in your hand in a sink when you're washing them by hand, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really it's important. Quite, it is yeah. very. It's glass breaking th- and heartbreaking. You would come so and them. I've,
1: I've never had the spear glass or anything like that. Um, the glasses I've got right now are pretty kind of tulip, the the large tulip size, I got them from the chef's supply place in South Melbourne but um, yeah those two glasses, the the Foster's one particular was perfect because it it was a bit posh, it had a stem.
0: I must say uh, op shops are a really good place to go for glassware
1: down Glen Huntley because live in Caulfield, Glen Huntley Road's got like four op shops, I've got a habit of popping in the First thing I look at is books because I'm a writer. Second thing is glasses.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And not spectacles. (laughs) No, no. (laughs) So um, you've taken us through a beer journey. Thank you so much for being on the Chose Brew podcast. But before we go, tell us where people can find you online. Um, Facebook. I have my personal page. I have my author
1: page. You can find me on Instagram, Ian, I-A-I-N-H, McLean, M-C-L-E-A-N. Uh, you can find me on Medium dot com, where I publish. Currently working on a second novel. Uh, I am publishing it live, so the feedback gets put into the novel. Uh, I've recently got the publishing rights back to my first novel, so you can get that on Amazon. But I am also starting to put it on free on uh, Medium, so you can read it for free first if you want. And I just put random stuff up there as well that's quite fantastical writing. It's not a thriller, urban, wad at frowsy brain.
0: Well, we'll include all the um, all those links in the thank show notes uh, for the podcast. But well, it's been an absolute pleasure, Ian. So it's been a joy. It, thank you for it. taking us through your chosen brew and um, pretty impressive beer journey.
1: I've really enjoyed it. I, I was kind of yeah, a little anxious at first about talking about you know the, the privacy. Private life of the shed. (laughs) What happens in the shed stays in the shed, but I've
0: only just become nervous about that right now, so (laughs) a a very good note to sign off on. (laughs) Thanks Ian. (laughs) No worries, thanks a lot. So that was it. Ian McLean. Great fun talking to Ian and just such a rich background and I could have recorded much longer. As we talked a lot off mic and then when we finished the podcast we carried on talking as well. So just a wealth of knowledge and, and a really great person to spend time with and talk about beer amongst other things. I'll be bringing you the next episode of The Chosen Brew on the 13th of next month. And make sure, like you already done probably... But share the show on social media. Um, like the page on Facebook as well. I put on posts there which you can share uh, for each different episode. And um, it would be great to hear some feedback as well for the episodes and the ones that you've enjoyed and, and the things that you like about the podcast as well. So please get in touch. Um, log on to the website, thechosenbrewau.com. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter and instagram as well all of those things and this episode i recorded pretty close to the wire it is friday the 13th so hopefully nobody was hanging waiting for this one i did get it out on time hope to catch up over a beer soon and see you next time thanks for listening